0: World and welcome to Shelly's Plumline. Truthful talks on tough topics hosted by Dr. Shelly Stewart.
1: Today, Shelly replays an interview from the Free by Choice program, which brought inmates from Alabama prisons on the air to speak openly about their crimes and the decisions which led to them. These Free by Choice inmates had a strong desire to share their stories. So their suffering could serve to help others avoid making the same mistakes.
0: Shelley started broadcasting in 1949, and he has been on a journey to discover the truth for humanity ever since, y'all. And at 88 years of age, Shelley still sits down before the microphone as he pursues answers to tough topics, challenging us to change the experience of being human and the power of humanity. Ladies and gentlemen, I am honored to present the oldest podcaster in the United States. Get ready. Here is Shelly.
2: Well, you know, ladies and gentlemen, I have been doing these programs for quite some time, not just here on the plumb line, but on the broadcast period. But A few years ago, I had the opportunity of sitting down one morning with two young people. They were brought in from the prisons in Alabama. I recall it was uh, Karen and Edward. They were in prison, but they were also doing a thing called free by choice. Yeah. That's what it was, free by choice. And they were so interesting, I interviewed them, and that interview has stayed with me through the years. After seeing and hearing so much going on today, we here at the Plum Line decided that we would just relive it one more time and let the world hear the experiences that we experienced years ago. Ladies and gentlemen, Karen and Edward on the plumb line.
3: I would suggest, by the way, if uh, many of you won't have to do as you did before, uh, requesting uh, tapes of this program, this program will be interesting and to those uh, school officials and, and others who last time we had... Uh, I think it was Ricardo and Tina here uh, from uh, Free by Choice from the Alabama Penal System. We received calls or uh, requests for over 1,000 copies of that program, and we had to rerun the program in order for uh, you to uh, get it. This morning's program, we understand, uh, will even be even more interesting. Uh, these young uh, individuals here, they have more time on their hands, and I tell you, they got more time than they can throw a stick at. And I said that, and I mean that, and they're going to tell you why, and how they got that time in the prison system. I'd like to welcome this morning to Open Mic from Free by Choice Program. By the way, uh, Free by Choice Program is a program consisting of a team of the greatest anti-drug experts in the world, the committed users. They are carefully screened inmates with correctional supervision. They speak to people, not only here, but in schools, churches, civic organizations, about their experiences with drugs and what happened to them as a result of using drugs. Free by Choice is a statewide program that uh, this year has been presented to over 115,000 people. Now, the success of the program is... uh, Uh, is is best evidenced by letters received from students and others who've heard the program and heard the inmates and then written to them expressing appreciation for uh, the inmates uh, sharing their experiences with them. It's very nice for these individuals to do that this morning on a statewide basis via WATV Radio's open mic. I'd like to welcome Karen and Edward. Remember those names, Karen And Edward. Karen is in jail now. She's in jail for murder, and uh, she received 25 years when she uh, first went there. And then we have Edward, who I thought had 101 years, but he's told me this morning, no, I don't have 101, Shelly. I have 102 years. I'd like to first say, welcome to Open Mic here at WATV, Edward. Thank you. And we'd also like to welcome you, Karen.
0: Thank you, Shelley.
3: All right. Uh, we uh, Since we have the mic turned around there, Karen, uh, tell us just a little bit about yourself. Give it, just tell us about yourself. We want you to feel comfortable here.
0: I'm Karen, and I've been incarcerated now for seven years, and I've had time to reevaluate myself. I've had time to think about the mistakes that I've made, and I've had time to even... Look around, look around me and uh, see what kind of mistakes society is making. And to tell you that the time that you all are doing now, we've already done this for you so that you don't have to make these same mistakes.
3: And uh, let's go around here and, and turn it to Edward. And Edward, tell us a little bit about yourself there. My name is Edward.
4: I'm serving 102 years for a drug related murder. I like to make this experience meaningful and instructive to young kids so that they don't have to walk down the same path. All right. Now, uh, moms, dads, uh,
3: with hearing that, uh, certainly I think that it's a good time now for you to get your children up. If they are not up, uh, grandmothers, I think the preachers, I know that, uh, the mayor of Birmingham said that he would be listening this morning. He does every morning, but he said, uh, he would especially be listening this morning. We have, uh, People from all over the state that uh, called and said they would be listening this morning. Uh, as I stated earlier, these people are in the uh, prenatal system now. Uh, let me turn around first and get it started here with Karen. Uh, uh, Karen, I want to know from you, really, how old were you when you first experienced drugs in your life?
0: My first experiment with drugs was at the age of six.
3: How did you do that? How, how did this come about? Tell us about that, Carrie.
0: After growing up in, in, in the environment that influenced drugs, I watched my peers and my older sisters and brothers, and they experimenting with drugs. And I kind of wanted to fit in with the crowd, and it
3: led me to a dead-end street. Tell us a little bit more about it. How did it escalate during that time from six years of age? How did it escalate? Seven. Tell us about how your life, seven, eight, nine. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: First of all, Shelly, let me tell you about about the type of home in which I come from. My mother was a Christian. My father was a city councilman. And I was the youngest of six. And my mother treated me like, excuse me, I was a baby. Up until a younger sister came along, I felt like an outcast, Shelly. And things weren't actually going my way. So, you see, I turned to marijuana as a crutch, a shoulder to lean on, a way to hide behind my problems. And stemming from using drugs, I met a young man that introduced me to a class A narcotic, a narcotic that is known as heroin. He, as young men often do, he left me with a drug habit. So, you see, I began to take things from my mother, Shelly. And Things that weren't nailed down in the home. After taking things from my mother, my mother discovered I had a drug problem. She would t- ask me from time to time, how long? I didn't know what she was talking about. You see, my mother knew I had a problem. After I turned about 17, I had gotten in some more trouble. A girl, a girlfriend and I had got to fighting, and I, I had taken a concealed weapon to a concert, and I got arrested. I was sent to the juvenile facility that I remained on probation for about six months. One night at the end of my six-month period, I had begun experimenting with a Class C narcotic that is known as T's and blues or T-shirts and blue jeans or sets or seizure pills or hickeys. You see, by this time, I had quit school, and I thought I was grown. So I I, uh, did as young women do. I, I thought it was time for me to get out on my own. You see, a girlfriend and I, we went next door to a car party, and the young man that I was dating, I had to tell this young man now that I was pregnant and this wasn't his child. You see, the young man didn't understand Shelly, and um, he come up to the, come up to the party where I was, and he and I got into a few heated words. And my girlfriend took me inside and she gave me a steak knife. And she said, Karen, here's a steak knife and you better go stab him. You see, under the influence of drugs, I lost my rationalizing ability. I lost my, my reason to think about doing the right things in situations like this. So you see, I walked up to this young man and my girlfriend pushed the door on his legs while he was sitting in the car. He jumped out and he grabbed me. And I stabbed him twice, Shelley, Once in the heart and once in the arm. You see... After that day, my life has never been the same. As I said, I've been incarcerated now for seven and a half years. I've had time to think about the things that I had done. I've had time to look around and see that the, what, what the world is facing. It's, it's, it's really, it's a fire. And somebody's got to put it out. If we don't start with ourselves, then there's no way it's going to come to an end.
3: Karen, I certainly appreciate you being so free with us. Not certainly, possibly somewhere in the program this morning after 7 o'clock, you may have to do that same thing again for us. I have some people are getting up this morning, and i don't want them to hear that especially from you this morning again, if those are there. Uh, you were about 17 when this all happened, is that right? Yes. Uh, drugs, are they that powerful, really? They influence
0: the mind. They make you do and say things that normally you wouldn't do. <clears throat> Excuse me they give you a strength and a inner courage to do and say abnormal things and and normally the mind wouldn't function that way but drugs usually takes control
3: and you you mentioned you know it's said over and over again that we've had people call here from uh, all over Alabama and most of the callers they often say that it's the neighborhood that you were in, that you were in the government projects. Uh, but you you, you weren't in that type of uh, environment, were you?
0: No, sir, I wasn't.
3: You mentioned that your mother was a church worker.
0: Yes, she was.
3: And your father was a member of the city council.
0: Yes, he was.
3: Uh, outstanding family. But you got hooked on the drugs, and you were there because you wanted somebody to lean on lean on and it was
0: used as a crutch shelley it was it was more or less a way to hide
3: so in other words it you a person did not have to be from uh any particular so called project area to become a drug addict and get in, in trouble like you did
0: no he doesn't
3: all right we will talk more about that but let's turn around here if you don't mind uh uh this guy uh is is in uh prison for 102 years. 102 years. His
4: name is Edward. Uh, Edward, tell us about more about yourself now. I started using drugs late by most standards. I started using drugs when I was 19. I was a senior in high school. In fact, I was about two months away from graduation. And I was a straight A student when I started using drugs. I was basically a product of the influence of the '60s. I started—I was graduating from high school in 1968, and I started using drugs uh, basically as a response to peer pressure. Uh, unlike and I grew up in the project, but I did not didn't grow up my entire life in the project. I came from a situation where my family had owned their own home, but the mortgage got messed around, and I had to move to the project. Uh, there was a strong religious influence in my family. There was no real reason that could be pointed out by anyone why I would have gone to drugs. And after using drugs, I, I, I left school. I left school two months away from graduation despite, being the fact, despite the fact of being an A student. And I started the whole process. I went to the corner, started hanging out. And after a while, I started to deal drugs. I made a lot of money dealing drugs. I got to be a tough kid on the corner. And after being on the corner, for a while I found out that nine years later, I was still on the corner. I was twenty eight years old and still on the corner. I was but I was getting paid, as they say in, in street lingo. And when you're getting paid, you, you start to attract to yourself, what I like to call fair weather friends. Well one such guy was a guy I'd known all my life. I'd grown up around him, went to school with him but we'd never been friends. He was really attracted to me because of the amount of money that I was making. And he did what most junkies do, the most sophisticated in drug use and other junkies he introduced me to a drug called Hellron they have a, a phrase in the street where they say you know if you turn a dude out you, that's more dope to the cooker for you and that was his strategy with this same man I was later to kill in an argument about some money I killed this man one day in 1977 on Father's Day and I killed him while his wife who was eight months pregnant was standing right beside him there were also two old men who were standing in the yard. Well, I gotten so involved in criminal activity, so involved in in the drug culture, the drug game, that that particular morning when I when I killed him, I knew that I was left with three other choices. I was left with the choice to murder this woman who was eight months pregnant. I was also left with the two choices of murdering these two old men who had who were witnesses to the, to the crime of first degree murder by the codes and the standards that I live by in the drug culture, I was supposed to take them out. But fortunately, I, could, I couldn't bring myself to murder that woman who was eight months pregnant with a child, nor could I bring myself to murder those two older men. So instead, I, I turned, I ran away. But I didn't go and turn myself into the police. I didn't seek the advice of a minister or a lawyer. I went to New York, where I lived previously. And in New York, I became involved in crime on a more serious level. In fact I became involved with organized crime. The aspect of organized crime I became involved with was gambling or what is known as the numbers game. I became an enforcer or collector of delinquent debts owed to people, owed to bookies by people who placed bets with them. And in the process I also developed a new drug habit. I developed an affinity for cocaine. I uh, had to hurt a lot of people. Sometimes I would have to use a knife or a gun or whatever was necessary, whatever weapon was necessary, whatever force was necessary to persuade people to pay the gangsters their money. And I collected substantial amounts of money. And as will happen, I was eventually arrested, lost all the money that I earned. And I came back to Alabama, I was extradited back to Alabama where I stood a trial for first degree murder and I was convicted of second degree murder and I was given a very lengthy sentence. Well, up to that point of being tried and going to that courtroom that particular day, I really thought that I was kind of tough. But when that judge passed sentence on me, I think it sort of changed me right there in the courtroom, even though I didn't see the change until years later. Because I thought I was tough, but when that judge pronounced that sentence on me, it made me a little weak in the knees. But then I remembered something my mother had told me, and it deals basically with the theme of the program. She had said that I had made my bed hard and I had to sleep in it. And there was nothing she could do despite all the love that she felt with me. She loved me very much. But what she was talking about really was choices. She was saying that I had determined my future by the choices that I had made. And I had to accept that future. So that's basically the message I'm trying to impart to young people who tell telling my story. Uh, I appreciate that. Everett.
3: Why did you receive such a stiff sentence? Why did the 102 years, how did you get that? Did you escape or something? How did? What happened here?
4: Well, actually, I, I received 99 years for the murder. And in 1984, I escaped, and I received an additional three years for the escape. Okay, so that's how the 102 years came about. Right. All of it's because of drugs. Uh, let me go back.
3: You, you mentioned while you were in New York, you developed this cocaine habit and uh, you were the enforcer at that time. You said you hurt a lot of people. When you say hurt a lot, what do you mean? You cut them, you hit them in the head, you shot them. What did you do?
4: I did whatever was necessary to convince them they had to pay the gangsters their money.
3: And uh, But you were using drugs when you did all of this. That's right. Let's talk about uh, prison. To those uh, many guys, they, 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 they sit here and I, I see them on the streets daily and say, Hey, man, as a matter of fact, I was in the Jefferson County Criminal Justice Building the other day. And uh, a young man was sitting there in handcuffs, really hurt me. And the judge said, uh, Well, you just came back, uh, and uh, here you've only been out three months, and I'm going to give you 30 years this morning. And the young man had just come out of, I think it was six years, and the judge said, I'm going to give you 30 years. Why is it? Uh, uh, and this young man, by the way, I one of us spoke with him, and he told me, Well, Shelly, uh, uh, I got high, and he, you know, write it right back again. Why is it that, that, that it, it, it's not that easy in the pen? Is it is it easy for a person in the penal system? Is it easy to go down there? Why do people go back like that?
4: It's a very difficult question. I, I would imagine that is why people go back to anything. They've not finished what they should have finished. They've not understood the experience, so they're destined to repeat it. That because they still have those same habits, those same attitudes that led them to the, into the experience from the first place,
3: and that's drugs right back again. Right, drugs. They never did free themselves. Right, and that's what this free by choice is. You know, uh, Karen, Edward, I'm very proud that you're here, and I want people to really talk to you. you don't mind talking to people this morning, do you? No, no. Okay, and uh, we want to get more time to so people can really talk with you and and. Uh, Ask questions and whatever about it. Maybe the mothers can get some young people up this morning, and and uh, they can uh, certainly talk to Karen as well as Edward. I want to thank Sergeant uh, Nettles, Officer Nettles, Sergeant Officer Nettles. Uh, I'll give you a promotion. I'll get the governor. I'll call Guy down there and tell him to give you sergeant stripes. Uh, Officer Nettles, by the way, for driving all uh, up here this morning from uh, Montgomery, Alabama, with Karen and Edward. And uh, I want to thank, uh, certainly, a very good friend about ours, Coach Phillips, sir, who has been working with me and many things in this community. I'll, I'll tell you. Wow.
2: Wow. What a, what a day. Listen, Karen and Edward, you heard the experiences. They were not from bad homes. Oh, no, 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 no. And, and that goes today. But, you know, looking at today, the penal system, oh, my God, is it ever loaded. Today, there are more than 1.4 million or more than 200,000 serving life sentences in prison today. That, that's incredible. And then you look at the things that happen after serving time in prison. Uh, Let me give you a few things. One in seven people in U.S. prisons are serving life sentences, either life without parole, life with parole, or virtual life 50 years or more. The number of people serving life without parole, the most extreme type of sentences, have grown over 66%. I think that what we're airing today The message today from Karen and Edward is that you can make better choices. I think that's what I got from this message today from Karen and Edward making choices, better choices, and the emotions. I listened to Karen and what happened to her, and to Edward, what happened to him. And just think about it, just think about it yourself in your life. Have you possibly been approached that time in your life that you just really wanted to do something wrong? Oh, thank God you didn't. Oh, my goodness. That's what it's all about, people controlling yourselves. And the other side of that is there is life after prison, too. They learn so much, they're in prison. And I do know for a fact that they were out and they made great lives for themselves. So that's something that we have to be considerate of when we go in, that can we really, if we can't do the time, then don't do the thing that you do. And the other side, if you really want to do that, that's a choice that you make. But these two want to be free by their choice the choice to not use drugs the choice to have a better life and a choice to come out and talk to me and well through me through you and hopefully that you can make a better life for yourself that's what it's all about communicating and that's what this is all about the story that you hear The stories I say that you hear on the Plum Line, you find people improving their lives. We know that because we hear from them, and they're telling us that in our resources that we get from all over the country, and certainly today on this episode of the Plum Line. Maybe you can get something from Karen and Edward on the Plum Line. Remember. There's your side, there's my side, and somewhere in the middle, there is the truth. Someone
1: really loves you. Guess who?
4: Someone.
1: This episode was written, produced, and edited by Dr. Shelley Stewart, Corlette Stewart-Burns, and Mark Jamraz. It was produced by Stewart Production at the Plumline Studios in Starrett, Alabama. The podcast was introduced by Mark Jamraz and Corlette Stewart-Burns. If you are a fan of Shelley's Plumline, please remember to subscribe on your podcast platform of choice so you don't miss any episodes. Learn more about this week's podcast and see photos, articles, and artifacts of Dr. Shelley Stewart's amazing journey through life at Shelley'splumline.com. Follow us and continue the conversation on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And if you like what we're doing here, please give us a review on Apple Podcasts and share this podcast with others. This is Mark Jamroz. Keep sharing the love and we'll all grow stronger.